With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Did you know that your favorite band also loves your favorite hockey team? If you love hockey and you love music, you're going to love Bar Down Breakdown a podcast that explores the crossover between alternative music and the sport we love, hockey. Every NHL player wants to be in a band, and every band guy wants to be an, an, you know, a pro athlete. With guests from all over the globe, come along with us as we interview some of the most captivating names in alternative music and talk about why we love hockey and how it's influenced us. You know, there was a, for a few seconds, I thought, like, well, maybe we should wear a Montreal jersey, then... And each other was like, mm, I think you should stay neutral. And we're like, yeah, yeah. you know what? Well, you're probably right. So tune in every Tuesday on the Hockey Podcast Network, where we'll have a brand new guest and a unique look into the bridge between hockey and music. Welcome, everybody, to episode 27 of the Tell It As It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. March's biggest tournament is finally here. We do not know who will be cutting down the nets at the end, but we do know there will be no shortage of madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $4 on an underdog, win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Turning $4 into $256 is 64 to 1 odds. And you can take your pick on any upset of your choice for 64 to 1 odds. You can't find this deal anywhere else. There is no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. But if college basketball is not for you or your college basketball knowledge isn't up to snuff like mine, DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on golf, hockey, and so much more. We all know the Colorado Avalanche have a busy, busy second half of the season now that we are hitting the halfway point. And if you want to get yourself even more invested in these games as the games get ever more important, DraftKings is the place for you. They are safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $4 into $256 if the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset. That's code THPN to turn $4 into $256 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So for this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, I was joined by Jimmy Pilato and Nico Bryant of the Far End of the Bench podcast on the Unhinged 
Sports Network to talk all things Avalanche after their bizarre 8-4 win over the Anaheim Ducks, which we will discuss in detail once we get to our conversation, including the whole Hunter Miska fiasco. We talked about everything from the trade deadline to Nathan McKinnon and how we think he's performing to the narrative that this is a soft team somehow is a overall an excellent talk with two excellent guys. They have an excellent show there on the that's the the far end of the bench podcast on the unhinged sports network. Give them a follow if you like what you hear on this edition and I hope you guys enjoy. This was an over an hour long talk and I really really enjoyed it with them. These are two great guys. So I hope you guys enjoy and I'll talk to you guys afterwards. All right, so I am joined by Jimmy Pilato and Nico Bryant of the Far End of the Bench podcast on the Unhinged Sports Network. Fellas, how are you guys doing today? Doing good, man. Can't complain. I mean, we we uh, we've been itching for some abs content on our on our show, but yeah, we uh, we came to you. And we were excited with what you what do you have over over here on your podcast, and we had to jump on the um, jump on the ship to make sure we get some abs content in because, man, we love talking about our hockey over here. Yeah, no, this year notwithstanding, it's very difficult to find any coverage of the Avalanche, even in Colorado with the four other major sports teams. But finding another podcast that's Avalanche-centric, and Nico and I try and do a good job of talking about them, especially last few years when they've been doing pretty well. Yeah, we're super excited about finally getting to come on and actually give all of our takes on the Avalanche and not have to cut anything short. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys coming on today. It's nice to always have someone to just – talk abs to sometimes especially this season has been very interesting to say the least it has been a roller coaster and I think right now we're currently on the up trajectory of that roller coaster we're on a little bit of a win streak and capped off with that eight to four blockbuster just shootout against the Anaheim Ducks the Hunter Miska fiasco in the first period. Grubauer comes in. The Avs storm back and dominate the game the rest of the way. What did you guys make of that game? We can cover the the Hunter Miska situation in a second. Outside of Miska, what did you guys make of that performance for the Avalanche? Well, what I'm seeing from the team first off is they have the capabilities of doing that every single night. Like I'm see, I see the strides. I see the strides. I see how good this team can be. And it's just the lack of either confidence or the lack of um, always locked in or whatever it may be. But this team, when they're at, when everyone is swinging at the right time, we can put up eight goals a game. I mean, that's that's a lot. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, having those games where you were down four to two at the end of the first, and then you go on a six zero run to win eight to four, that is just nuts in any hockey game whatsoever. And to be able to do that to a Ducks team that came out firing in the first period. I think it's very impressive. Also, obviously the Ducks aren't where they where they where they should be, and they're, they're lower half of the half of the um, NHL right now. But um, it's it it definitely showed a lot to me that they were able to come back like that, and that they ha- didn't have that never say die attitude. Yeah, that that was almost a pretty scary end of that three game stretch going into the break. The two games against Kings were great, but then going down four two. That was it, was it was stressful to say the least. The good thing is, though, you're seeing them play these tight playoff games, winning two to one, three to two, 
where it's very difficult and you're on pace the entire game. And then they can also come back and win the blowouts or I dare any team in the NHL to try and keep up with a Colorado avalanche offense. That's running at a good, at a good clip because it's not just the top line McKinnon. Uh, I was listening to your episode a couple, or I think it was last week. McKinnon has had an, an okay season. He's still top half of the players in the league. It's not the season we were expecting. And we're seeing Nazem Kadri and Burakovsky, Ryan Graves, all these second, third line guys step up. That's been the good sign. And I do agree. I think we're on the upswing and we're getting to the upswing at the right point of the season because we are running out of, out of regular season games. We're about to get to the point where all of these games are playoff games and, and the season is on the line. Yeah, I think coming up later this week, we'll reach the halfway mark of the season. And th- this was the kind of game that I feel like I've been waiting for a bit outside, outside of that first period where the world seemed to be on fire. Even then, if you take away the goals against the second line is finally rolling. Kadri is looking like last year's playoff form. Burakovsky is finally getting hot after a first half of the season where he looks inconsistent like he does at a lot of times. And Nathan McKinnon, he's still at over a point per game pace, which is, I think, what we expect out of him. He's just not playing at that MVP pace that we've come to expect from last season. And his shooting percentage is a bit down, I'll admit. But like I would say a few episodes ago, there was a bit more to give there. And I'm never going to doubt Nathan McKinnon just because he's insane and at his best arguably top three player in the league. And you can say maybe only behind Connor McDavid. He's just, I don't think that's arguable. I think he definitely is a top three player when he's at his stride. Yeah. At his, at his strongest, it definitely goes at least McDavid McKinnon and maybe Matthews third. He's, he's going to turn it on late in the season. I think that's what we can expect from McKinnon. And maybe he won't be a finalist for the heart this season, but I think he'll definitely play like it down the stretch. We just, those last few games against Arizona and even the first game against LA, this team had no puck luck whatsoever. They were getting 40 plus shots a game. They were getting goalied by Auntie Ranta and Cal Peterson. And they got no bounces their way. Arizona stole that series from them. And you could tell that they were due for a game where they, they put up eight goals, especially against the, a Ducks team that has somehow tortured them this season, even a few weeks ago with those back-to-back overtime games. They were due for one like this. And after that first period where everyone's upset and like, oh my God, we're going to lose another game to the Ducks. I was very impressed with the way they bounced back in this one. It wasn't a great defensive effort in the first period. And everyone just roared back. And I was... I was impressed by it. They seemed when, like you said, when this team is firing, I dare anyone in the league to keep up with this offense. And they're now getting healthy, which should have Byron back for the next game, as well as Comfer. And we'll, McCarr should be coming back soon as well. And just imagine what this is going to look like once EJ is fully back and healthy, because we've yet to see EJ play really uh, a meaningful playoff type series with McCarr because he was he was out most of the bubble. Um, I'm really that's the other good thing about the team where and where they are at the season. They're getting healthy while they're starting to hit their stride with the guys who've been forced to play a lot more minutes. I don't think 
there's very few people that thought this was going to be the way the minutes spread out. And um, I've got no, no issues with the way anybody's handled their extended playing time other than the backup goaltending. Yeah. I mean, the, the COVID year, you're going to have some like this. I mean, basketball saw it, football saw it, where guys have to step up. The way I see it is we're still winning games and we're, we're not at our full potential. We, we are not where we could be. Like, like look, McKinnon has not had a, the, the start we all thought he had, and we're still winning games and still getting games where we're getting Byram experience against these big teams. We're getting Kale McCarr more experience. We're getting these younger guys all these experience where when you get to playoff time, when you know the starters are maybe struggling or the stars are struggling – in, in those deep games, you can trust the second level guys to still be there and, be, and, and stack up for you. And then, like Jimmy said, the only position where you can't have that the backup position is much more important and you see it during the regular season more is backup goalie. Cause there's no doubt in my mind, Grubauer should be starting every single playoff game for us come, 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 come the postseason. But but we need to make sure he stays healthy to there to be able to play 16 games all the way to the cup. That's the way you got to see it. Um, but when it comes to McKinnon, man, like I said, bad start to the season, but we don't want to hit hitting a stride too early the way we're playing so hard right now. And these guys that are stepping up so much more, that just gives me more confidence for this team going forward. Yeah, exactly. And it's like you, you compound together all the issues that this team has had to deal with from day one. I mean, day one of the season, Franco's is out and everything just seems to snowball from there. You can go to the COVID pause that struck them out for a week and a half, McKinnon being a little cold sometimes, and some other members of the top line going cold, all the injuries they've had to deal with and are still dealing with now. You look at them in the standings, they are in third place in both points and points percentage. They're one point behind Minnesota. Both teams have played 27 games and they are three points behind Vegas. Vegas has one game in hand. And you can argue that until now, Colorado hasn't even come close to hitting their stride. And if they start to hit their stride down the stretch, especially in this final bit of March where they only have two road games, I was saying last episode, very, very soon, maybe sooner than later, you could see this Avs team on top of the West. And they've, as much as they've struggled and as much as they've had to deal with, they're still in a very, very good spot. Yeah, there. I think there was a lot to do with expectations coming into the beginning of the season that haven't been there for a while. I mean, very short time ago, this team was the last place in the league, not just the conference, the division, the last place in the league. And from where we were there to where we are now, it's just totally different. So I think there was some expectations that had to be tempered a little bit, getting Byram in and trading Cole early on in the season that it was underestimated how much COVID was going to affect the in-season moves that happened. So you bring in a a new guy and, and call a kid up, it's going to take a, take time to get some chemistry. Once the chemistry was right, and you kind of started to see that at Lake Tahoe, because I think that's the best I've ever seen them play the Golden Knights. Maybe the, the following game, too, uh, where they won back at home. But they've never really played well against a team like that. And I, the Lake Tahoe game, you just saw this is a totally different team, but it took a while to get to that point. 
yeah, I mean, shout out Matt Duchesne and the Ottawa Senators for being idiots and uh, revamping this whole team because Ottawa was Ottawa was was in win now mode not too long ago, and now they're bottom half of the league, and we got all their draft picks the last few years, and that created and that gave us so much assets and so many great players um, that that set us to where we are now. Um, I think, like, like, like Jimmy said, getting buyer experience. One guy we, we still haven't seen yet, Alex Newhook. Newhook, I think, would be an absolute animal. Watching him in the World Juniors, man, was something to behold. I think that kid could be really special, too. He could easily be a second liner for this Avs team. But getting the younger guys' experience is, is good right now because they, they won't need – they won't have to feel that pressure so much come the postseason that's why i think the last few years have been so pivotal is we the last few years we we, we gave guys like mccarr we gave guys like grubauer first full first goalie experience in the playoffs and we now coming now we're at the point where okay now this team can roll all the way through and it's good now that we've gotten the injury bug out fully because the last postseason don scoy out Grubauer out, Franco out, EJ out. The list goes on and on. We hit got, hit got hit with the injury bug worse than anybody did in the bubble, and we still made it to the Western Conference Finals. So like, or excuse me, semifinals. But either way, like this Avs team can get the right way. We just got to get fully healthy, and while we're getting fully healthy, get these young guys the looks they need so their progression can go forward. I think if you would look at the last few seasons and put this team where they're at now in the same spot as they were the last few years, we'd be ecstatic. But like you were saying about expectations, the expectations, I mean, they were through the roof this season. I'd say we'd had the highest expectations of any team in the league this year coming in as the cup favorites. And it was one thing I talked about a lot before the season is that with expectations comes a lot less room for error. And when you started losing some of those games to the Sharks and the Ducks, even earlier in the month, people were understandably frustrated because we shouldn't be losing those games at all. But now you see that this team is finally starting to find their form and they can throw around teams like the Coyotes and the Kings and now the Ducks. And I really want to see how they play Minnesota tomorrow. I think that's going to be probably one of the more interesting matchups of the entire season. I mean, you look at their runs recently and they're practically identical. They're I think Minnesota has a five game winning streak. The Avalanche are on a four game winning streak. They're both seven, two and one in their last 10. Minnesota's just one point ahead of us. We both have plus 22 goal differentials. I mean, that, that is going to be, must watch hockey and I think the closest we've come to playoff hockey so far this regular season even with the games against Vegas because we do have a history against this wild team and it hasn't been pretty in recent years these teams really do not like each other and even in the past matchups we saw against Minnesota we they like to push us and we don't like when they start to push us around and there are a lot more scrums in those games than there were in the four games against Vegas. So if they come out with two wins against Minnesota, all of a sudden they have a three-point separation between them and the Wild, and depending on how Vegas does, they'll close the gap even further. 
Yeah, I mean, that rivalry with Minnesota goes all the way back to, I believe it was either McKinnon's first year or second year in the playoffs with Law Coach. First year, in the first year. Um, and he, like, I, I remember being, I think we were either the one or two seed, and we were going, like, with no, ex- we were not expected to be there. Minnesota comes in and punks us at game seven in our own house. Um, I remember that vividly and then losing my mind after uh, being there and then watching that puck go in from Minnesota and then moving on. Cause like I said, Wah at Wah brought that, although he wasn't the greatest coach, he, he brought that energy in that, that, that expected. He may not know the X and O's as much as he, he did as a player when it comes to coaching. Um, but he, uh, instilled that into McKinnon, instilled that into Landeskog, that that fighter mentality where they're going to scratch and claw for everything that they're going to try to get. Patrick Wall was basically the anti-Jared Bednar. They're the exact opposite behind the bench. But we're starting to see, and, and I've read a few articles talking about McKinnon and his toughness. Normally, guys like McDavid don't have to fight their own battles. McKinnon is big enough and strong enough to do so, and, and we've seen the same thing with Landeskog. That's my favorite gift to put out on Twitter is Landeskog wrestling. I think it might have been a guy from the wild. Uh, just Connor Garland in Arizona. Okay, that's yeah. that's who it was, but you're holding him up at the net and just wrestling him off and, and chucking him to the ice. These guys are – the Avalanche last few years have gotten the reputation of being that very fast, not physical team, and that doesn't really bode well in the playoffs. I think they've been pushed around enough to where the guys are just ready to, to go at it with everybody. We've started to see that a little bit. Just I think the season bodes to it because there's going to be a lot of intensity playing eight games against a certain team. But now we're getting to the point of the season where everybody's got playoff hopes riding on the line. And I think the Avs, even if they're going to be comfortably within the playoff format, you got to worry about seeding because there's definitely matchups that I want in the first round that I would rather uh, rather them see in, instead of playing certain teams. So everybody's got a stake going down the stretch of the season. Being the one seed, whether there's there's not going to be a crowd, being that one seed is going to make a difference. Yeah, it's. I think for the West division, I think we have our four playoff teams. I'd be, I'd be shocked if anyone outside the top four right now makes it in. I don't see any of these top four teams falling out. I mean, St. Louis is in fourth right now. There are five points ahead of the Kings. And I think the Kings have already played their best hockey of the season. And they're cooling back off as we speak at three, four and three in their last 10. And you're going to have to probably go through one of Minnesota or St. Louis in the first round. I doubt Vegas falls out of the top two and it's not going to be fun matchups either way, but I think you're absolutely right. I think this team has unfairly developed a reputation of being soft just because they're such like a high flying and scoring team with such high end talent, like McKinnon and Rantanen. And like when people bring up that narrative, like I always think to myself, well, who exactly is soft on this team is not McKinnon. McKinnon is one of the most intense players in the league. Gabe Landeskog. I mean, you can just look at that gif of him throwing Connor Garland down on the ice. He is no pushover. Even Miko Rantanen, Miko Rantanen, like his, his name, his name is Moose for a reason on this team. He's not just some pushover. And Kale McCarr has his collection of heavy hits. I don't see the, the soft narrative maybe they're not like an an islanders level like guard the front of the net kind of team but they're not like a like a maple leafs like 
Mitch Marner doesn't hit any one kind of soft. Like they they can stand up for themselves. They don't need a babysitter. No, and that second and those second and third lines have some real grit to them too. Kadri, I talked about it on our our episode that came out uh, this past Wednesday. He's a guy. He'll get stuff going. He's a real physical presence, but he could also spend like 25 minutes of a series in the box. He he has a tendency to take some dumb penalties. So if you can get that get rid of that element of his game. He's your your modern day enforcer. He's not going to go out there and fight every single night, but he's the guy that brings the physicality and being on the second and third lines of a team that has one of the top first lines in the league. He's he's truly stepped in. I'm really impressed with what he's been able to do and he's cleaned up his game quite a bit. The other than the first couple games where he was getting major penalties, I really haven't seen him in the box all that often. He's more on the score sheet for assisting and scoring goals than he is for making dumb mistakes. Yeah. yeah, that's. What, I mean, that's not why I'm not worried with Kaji's penalties because of this offensive production is like he he's 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 putting up these numbers that I could live with if he if he if he takes a penalty that um is is a message sent to the other team like because because I expect when he's going to come back out of the box that he's going to be able to do that because our PK has has done pretty well this year too, um so so when when you look at the Avs depth and and going forward with that I think EJ returning will help will help the intensity in the back line i'm just like the 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 stigma of us not being tough is just because we're, we're, we're young i think especially in the back end um when people see cam mccarr they don't see a big bruiser defender but he is one of the most craftiest craftiest defenders in the league by far and then throw byram into that mix as well they don't necessarily see byram as this big bruiser um, on the on the back line, but he he he'll he can step up, score goals, and then also be be smart with the puck. He's got, um, a, so he's got a fight under his belt already. Exactly, I think it was his first or second game too. Yeah. Um, but Byron Byron's got some grit under him. These kids, like I said, they're hungry, and that's 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 the most important part because I think this team has gotten to the point where the expectations were there last year as well. Now this team is, 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 is hungrier than I've ever seen it, especially the young guys. Now you, cause you have those, 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 excuse me, those um, older guys like EJ, like Landy, Landy's not that old, but he, I can throw him into that conversation. Um, Kodger, who's been around the league for a few years now too, that are, are guys that, that, that are either trying to find a cup or be a part of something special. And there's, they're bringing along these young guys the right way. Yeah, exactly. And with Nazem Kadri, I mean, the perfect example of what Kadri brings to the table was last night in that third period when he got under, I believe it was Nick Delorier's skin so badly. They were screaming at each other in the box. Delorier's chasing him when they get out of the box and trying to fight him. And Kadri's just, he's ignoring him. And he sends Delorier to the bench and you could practically see the steam coming out of his ears. And Kadri's last series in Toronto or his last two playoff series in Toronto against Boston gave him that reputation of a hothead. And then his first playoff in Colorado in the bubble last year, he was before the avalanche were eventually eliminated by Dallas. He was one of the MVPs of the, I'd say the entire playoff up to that point, obviously his 0.1 second left goal against St. Louis in the round Robin. And he just, he would not stop and, he got off to admittedly a bit of a slow start this season and people were a bit frustrated with him, but I always said to be patient with him. This was the same thing last year. He's going to start to roll in the important games and down the stretch. 
And I even saw a thing uh, from Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter, goals above expected. He was last in the league out of everyone in the league of goals above expected, I believe it was. And he was still producing up to that point. So that to me says there's even more of a regression of the mean coming to him or he's going to start producing even more regularly every night. And once the playoffs hit, I think he is once again going to be a monster because that is just where he shines. Yeah, I, I likened him early on in our show to the Evgeny Malkin of the Sidney Crosby back in those Pittsburgh days when they were winning their first couple of cups. Sidney Crosby was still the best player on the team, but he had a sidekick that could score, and that was Kadri last year in the bubble. He that's that's the kind of offensive production he brought. Man, it was unfortunate the way that playoff run ended because uh, getting that goal back and then giving it up like ten seconds later, I I don't think I've ever been so mad. Our our Twitter timeline exploded. I I kind of exploded that day. That's it's still it still hurts to think about that. Oh man, I just totally blanked on his name. Who came over from Ottawa at the trade deadline last year? Who scored that goal? Russian. Yeah. Can't even think of his name. I oh, blocked it out of my memory so bad. I'm usually so good at this. He's in Detroit now. I know everything about him except his name. It's um he played for Tampa. What is his name? Why can't I remember it? Oh man, not important, but anyway, yeah. But that's actually a good segue into what I wanted to get into next, because that series against Dallas, we saw the importance of having a third goalie because Grubauer goes down, Franzos gets down, Michael Hutchinson has to come into the net. He ultimately does force a game seven, but if Grubauer Franzos is in net for that game seven, you can argue that the Avalanche win that series. And now we've gone into this season with, Philip Grubauer and Pavel Frantzos as the one-two. No one really saw a huge issue there outside of the weird group of people that randomly hate Grubauer. But as it turns out, we did not address the third goalie situation, and we have been forced to rely on Hunter Miska in Philip Grubauer's rare absences with Pavel Frantzos seemingly out for the entire season. And last night... It had to have been his final game as a member of the Avalanche. Not saying we're going to cut him and put him on free agency. I think he'll go down to the Eagles and play, but it's going to be a long time before I think he starts another game here. And I think there needs to be a move that has to be made immediately. That first period, four goals on seven shots. The first two were the most egregious. The third one, yes, the guy was alone in front, but that was a a shot that pretty much stayed on the ice and went five hole and the penalty shots, a coin flip. But when it comes to Hunter Miska playing as poor as he has on in this season, you lose the benefit of the doubt on a lot of those goals. And I just, you can't start him again. Grubauer plays until you have another option in my opinion. Yeah. That's not only is that how he played, that's got to tear his confidence too. It, Hunter Miska knows at this point that that's what I really saw in that first period. He was a guy that was so worried about trying to get his position better than what it was that he played even worse. It's the go trying so hard to, to do better that you end up being as bad as possible. That's tough to come back from goalies, a position where you got to be mentally tough and not, not remember a single thing. Every single time that somebody comes down the ice is a new existence. Nothing happened before he doesn't have that anymore. Giving up those four goals the way that he did, 
And I think that's where we started to see those, those are a couple soft goals. You mentioned it. Those, those are goals that anybody else, any of the other top two goalies on a team make, and he's not making them anymore. Whether or not he could physically do it, his, his mental capacity is he's ready to go back down to either a lower level or just back into a backup role, emergency role, something like that. Well, I mean, we've, we've had this problem since 2018. You go, if you remember, go back to the National Predators playoff series with Andrew Hammond and goalie the Hamburglar. Thank you. Like, 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 like it, it's been that problem for a long time. You saw what happened that year after we lost the Preds, we brought in Grubauer to be the backup to Varley. That year, we had Varley and Grubauer both healthy, and we shocked a lot of people and beat Calgary in the first round. Come now later, Barley leaves the New York, which was well-deserved because he's still number one goaltender, so is Grubauer, but we still have been looking for a number two goaltender since then. And when you have that second goaltender, it's not for the playoffs. It's for these games right now where Grubauer is getting thrown at every single night out there. That should never be happening. Now, there's not a single goalie in this league, maybe Carey Price, but that can stay out there on his head every single night and you expect him to go the full length of the season and 16 games through the playoffs. That's just not doable. Doesn't Grubauer have the most games played so far in the season as a goaltender? At, yes, he does. He does. If it's not that, he's played the largest percentage of games. I don't. I think it's... I, it's hard to keep track of games played just because of that pause and everything, but at very least he's played the highest percentage of games played of any goalie this season. Exactly. And he was hurt last year. We're, yeah. we're asking, oh. we're asking so much from Grubauer and it's Grubauer is playing outstanding hockey. He is right now one of the best goalies in our division at the minimum. Now we, every single playoff or every, I, I, I can almost think back to almost every single Stanley Cup winner the last at least 10 years had a secondary goaltender that you could rely on during the regular season. Like that's just the way it is. We don't have a reliable second piece. We, 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 Sackick bought in on Franco. Franco has been hurt all year. Now you look elsewhere. Franco was a good goalie. Don't get me wrong. But if he's not going to stay healthy, then you're hurting Grubauer more than you're hurting the team. Because you're making Grubauer just stand out on his head every single night and make him do too much. Because having a, a night like last night, where, like you said, it's the third end of, or end of the three games, three game series there, where you, Grubauer should have had the night off. He should be rested going into Thursday's game now. But now he has to come back in after three straight games of playing hockey and play again against a better team in Minnesota. That's just on, that's just undoable. It's like a, it's like a starting, it's not just starting pitcher. It's like a closing pitcher. Like you're close. If you're a winning baseball organization, you're not having your close. You're not having your closer close out every single win. You have to have your relief pitcher every now and then step in because your closer cannot throw 20, 30 pitches every single night for 162 games. It's the same thing with a goalie. You cannot have the goalie step out there 56 games every single night and then expect him in the playoffs to be able to go full 16 games. Yeah, exactly. And like when you put Hunter Miska in the net, you're basically surrendering two points if you leave him in for the full 60 minutes. And at that point, you have to put Grubauer in because you can't just afford to give up two points for free. And that falls on the management and not getting a reliable backup. And they obviously know more about when Francois is coming back than we do. And if he's coming back soon or closer to the end of the season, but 
until you have a proper backup for Grubauer, whether it is Francois coming back or Adam Warner or someone you get in a trade or off of waivers, Grubauer has to play. And if he gets exhausted and if he gets hurt, that's on the management because you can't just, you can't put Hunter Miska out there because you are telling your team, we are not giving you a fair shot to win this game tonight. I mean, if Hunter Miska stayed in the net against the Ducks last night, who, who knows how many goals we would have had to have scored. We scored seven with a goalie in net. And do you guys think that would have been enough to win that game if Hunter Miska stayed in the net? Would seven have been enough? Really, the, the goals he was letting in were momentum-killing goals as well. So I don't know if we get to seven because it was basically yeah, yeah. We, we score and they score two to take all the momentum back. We could never get a, a run going there. Yeah, exactly. And that's just when you put Miska in net, everyone's afraid everyone's afraid to pinch everyone's afraid to make a bad read no one can play to the best of their ability i think if grubauer is in net that penalty shot never happens landeskog doesn't do that he gives grubauer a chance to make the save on a breakaway but with miska in net landeskog is going to do everything he can to try to slow that guy down and stop him from getting to the net and even if he takes a penalty shot he's at least giving miska 30 more seconds to prepare for a breakaway I just don't think those mistakes happen with Grubauer and net. I think, like we said earlier, everyone's just more comfortable. And if you can get a guy with more NHL experience, or even, even if Adam Warner plays at like a 900 save percentage level, if, if that's who they decide to go with, that'll be fine. Because if this team plays like they do against the Ducks and against other teams, they should win most of those games. Really, though, I think they should go out and get somebody. I know it's slim pickings with a lot of the goaltending situations around the league, and there's not really a guy that you can bring in that's just going to magically fix everything. And then what do you do with Franco's after that? But even when even when Franco's comes back, I would just feel better having another guy in that third goalie spot because who's to say one of them doesn't get hurt again? Like. Maybe Francois comes back too early and gets hurt again, or God, God forbid, Philip Grubauer stretches his leg the wrong way, making a save and pulls his groin like nightmare scenario, but it happened against Dallas. I just would feel better knowing that we're not going to be putting Hunter Miska back in a spot to start another NHL game anytime soon. And the guy I like the most, if we're coming up on the trade deadline soon, which is less than a month now, I believe the guy I like the most I've thought about a lot is Jonathan Bernier out of Detroit. Bring that I, back. Yep. Yeah. I thought, I thought about Ryan Miller a lot, but I saw him last night and I feel like I've changed my mind a bit. And with Jonathan Bernier, he's the only, he's the only Detroit goalie I believe that has played at least semi well in the last two years and has like at least been above a 900 save percentage. And I feel like that's the kind of move you make if Franco's is like out long-term, like towards the end of the season, long-term. And I'm not, truthfully, with this trade deadline, I'm not overly concerned about draft picks. I mean, we've already given up our second and the second next year for Devontae's excellent trade, by the way. But I just, with this season, I'm not overly concerned about picks since we have those ridiculous prospects like Newhook and Byram starting this year and everyone like that. I wouldn't be concerned about trading a third 
maybe even plus for Bernier if that's what they ask for? Well, yeah, when, when you're a playoff team, in my opinion, first-round picks are basically second-round picks. Like, let's put it that way. When you're, when you're a championship cup contender, you basically are just two, st- two picks ahead of the second round. So that's where I, that's where I'm in the point where I don't care about that at all. Picks you got to go um, if if you're trying to win cups. The one the one thing that worries me about Bernier is like you said the asking price because Detroit is, is in such a shithole. Thank God because I hate that organization. Um, they, 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 they've they've been struggling so much uh, that Bernier is the only basically the only bright spot they have. Um, so, so with Bernier, they're going to probably have a high asking price because it is the Avs. Um, with Ryan Miller, I think, although last night wasn't wasn't fun to watch Ryan Miller as a backup goalie, but I still think he could be a cheaper option. Um, and like I said, he has the he he's not, he's at the end of his career. He's a forty year old goalie, and a goalie like that that is looking to probably win a cup. I mean, he that's got to add a little bit of juice to your step. I mean, he, he has experience in big games, whether it be the gold medal run uh, or the, excuse me, the silver medal run for Team USA back in 2010 or those playoff teams um, in Buffalo. I mean, that, I mean, that seems like so long ago. But, yeah, the Buffalo Sabres were a playoff team at one point. Ryan Miller was the best goal in the league. Um, I, I looked at but, that the, the other day. Ryan Miller was drafted in 1999. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been around for a minute. Nice. So, so that's, that's why I don't mind Ryan Miller because I think the asking price will be lower. Um, Bernier, obviously, I'd love to have him come back. He was a he was a he was a stout number. I think I think he was a number three goalie even at one point. But he yeah. was a stout number two goalie for us. Um, I think I think if you have Bernier come in, you just have to make sure that he's along the lines of you're not the number one here. You're a number two goalie, and that's how you gotta pay for him too, because you cannot overpay for a goalie that is gonna compete for the starting job. Grubauer is your number one goalie. He has to pay for a goalie that would that will buy into the product of being that goalie that steps in on that third day of a back to on a back to back to back or whatever or the last game of a series where Grubauer needs his legs underneath him going into the next series. That's what you need. And um with with Miska it's definitely not it. I don't think it's it's not even any more the guys in front of him don't trust Miska. I don't think Miska trusts Miska. Like I don't I don't th- I think it's just gotten so far into his head that that he that the team is asking so much of him that he's not there ready yet. I'm not saying that he he's going to be a bad goalie forever, but he's being asked to come into a Stanley Cup level team and and stand on his head and that's just not going to work. Yeah, be be Jordan Bennington. We don't know if you're Jordan Bennington. By the way, what about that contract? I feel like that's going to be a mistake. It's going to come back and bite the loser. Yeah, I I haven't talked about that one on my show yet. I, there's a, some guys I talk to on our network. They're called the Blue Notes Podcast. I've talked to a couple times. Next time I talk to them, I'm going to ask them what they think of that because I think that contract is terrible. It's- I think they have learned nothing from all the other team's mistakes over the last few years. It's a big contract for a guy that like not the entire organization is sold on, not the entire fan base is sold on. It's I don't know. I, I as as bad as it as it is. Look, the fans will never forget his Stanley Cup run. Like like it, it's not a fact of matter. It, it doesn't matter. They still got Bennington was still in net and got the Blues out of that long playoff drought and got them a Stanley Cup. I mean the blue the, like. No matter what it is, that's what you pay for a Stanley Cup goalie. Bennington would have just left, 
And if you're the Blues team that is still contending for a, for a cup right now, you have to pay Bennington that, or else he's just going to get go walk and get paid elsewhere. And you got to treat the goaltender that got you the cup um, the right way. That's the way I see. It. Although it was the contract was outrageous, I, he you have to do that if you're the Blues. Yeah, there's it's definitely just, a, a bit of loyalty that comes in there. My my view on Bennington, and this has just been my view on a lot of rookie goalies in the league. This obviously does not apply to Hunter Miska, but if you are a rookie goalie and you are NHL caliber, you have a very good shot at surprising a lot of people. And Jordan Bennington and Matt Murray are not the same goalie, but I see them a lot in the same light. Bennington comes up out of nowhere in basically January of 2019. The Blues are like, we need a goalie. We're the last place team in the league we can't get a save and Bennington comes out of nowhere he's a 927 in 32 games and is good enough in the playoffs a 914 to win them the Stanley Cup and then the next season he's still a starting goalie I'm not when I say this I'm not saying Jordan Bennington is bad or not a starting goalie but he's definitely come back down earth a little bit and people have definitely figured out how to solve him since the cup run and committing six years. I mean, Oh man, Jordan Bennington is 27. I mean, committing six years to a goalie is very ill-advised unless they are an Andre Vasilevsky and 6 million to a goalie is also not a very good idea. You really don't see those contracts. I mean, I don't want to dunk too hard on the blues for this because we do have Philip Grubauer expiring at the end of the season. And I don't think 6 million is out of the question for him. If they do decide to re-sign him, which I think they should. I mean, Grubauer right now makes 3.3 basically. And he is 29 years old. I don't think we talk enough about how, how this contract is going to look just as an abs fan base as a whole, I think 6 million is probably the minimum of what it's going to take to keep him. Because if he hits that market, I think someone like Edmonton or Carolina is going to pony up the big bucks to try to get him. Yeah. He's shown, he's put himself in a category where he's going to go to free agency and he's going to, if he makes it to free agency, he will have a pick of who he wants to play for. It's not going to be, waiting around for a phone call. He's going to have three phone calls that he gets to decide which one he answers. So I think that's, I mean, the avalanche fan base doesn't like to talk about money a lot. Just they kind of like to forget about it until it comes up and smacks in the face. Like, Oh crap. I I forgot that we had to resign that guy. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to happen this off season. It's going to be brutal. Yeah. That's going to be, it's the first domino effect too. Cause three year, four years from now, we're going to have to pay Byram. We're going to have to pay Kale. Hey, it's, it's the first one. So that's why you got to optimize the, the cup cup window. Cause there's only for so long. Yeah. And with, with Kale, that's this off season as well. And so is Landeskog. So this is the first off season where you're really going to have to pay close attention to the cap and who's going to have to go in their stead. I mean, you look at the big names coming up, obviously, Landeskog is this season. Brandon Saad is a UFA this season. I'm still unsure of where that's going to go. And you got Kale McCarr for his first new contract, Philip Grubauer. And then that's it for this season. But then next year, you've got Burakovsky hitting UFA. 
Kadri hitting UFA and any other big names hitting UFA. Francois hitting UFA, but we'll see if that's even a big deal at that point. And then the year after that, you have McKinnon hitting UFA, and that's going to be probably double what his contract is now. So this is going to be the start of three straight years of, oh man, we are up against it and we are going to have to pull some gymnastics to make this work, especially because this in particular kind of screws them. The salary cap is staying flat for four years. So after we've solved all of this, then the cap is going to go up. That's that's the necessity to win now is is that reason. Because if you win a cup now and you can prove that you're going to be a cup contender for a while, guys will stick around for less money. If you're just always going to be right there, some guy's going to go and take a big money offer somewhere else because you've shown that you're not going to be that postseason. Like, like guys want to win championships. That's what they play the game for. So being able to at least make the final, I think, is going to be huge. That's that's why there's so much pressure on the season, so many expectations, because it's going to really affect free agency moving forward how the rest of the season goes. Yeah, I mean, look, this I, I think this Avs team has bought in for the most part because we 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 the players have seen what Sakic has done the last five years. Like like there's they, he's made moves to not only get this team over the hump out of the last place in the NHL to finally getting into the picture where there's a bunch of young studs. And I think McKinnon is bought into that too. McKinnon is, is on the right path of being that he is, he is the man on this team, but he knows he can't do it himself. He's he, he's, I think this year is a perfect example that he's finally seeing that the, what has been put around him and that Sackick has done a great job of the great talent he's put around him. Now you got to optimize McKinnon's potential and optimize the players around him. Yeah. And going back to the part about expectations, the thing I said coming into this season about expectations is that this year it's no longer cute last year. And the two years before that, that they made the playoffs, the loss to Nashville. I don't think anyone was expecting them to win that series. It would have been fantastic if they did, but going up against the president's trophy winners, taking that series six was more than respectable. And then you go to the year after they knock off Calgary in a fantastic upset where they dominated them from start to finish. They have that amazing series against the sharks that goes to seven. They just fall short. And then you go to next year and you lose both the goalies and you lose in a game seven overtime to Dallas. There's a, there was always an excuse. There was always a, okay, well, there's always next year. This team's young this year. If you let's just say you lose to Vegas in the second round. Now it's like, okay, that's enough of that. That's a failure of a season. This was supposed to be a Stanley cup year. This is where the expectation comes in. It's no longer cute after this season, if they don't at least make it to the final four, they need to at very minimum make it to that final four. Cause at that point, anything can happen. You don't even, you don't even know who you're going to be playing at that point. It's a completely different final four than we've ever seen. I mean, we, we might be, we might be playing another team from the East in the final four for all we know, it's going to be a complete mess, but uh, just for fun right now, um, I want you guys to guess what the score of the New York Rangers and Philadelphia Flyers game is right now. I'm going to take a wild guess that it's like another stupid score, like seven to zero or something. Jimmy. 
Uh, I'll go a shootout. So like five, five to three right now. You are both too low. The New York Rangers are currently beating the Philadelphia Flyers nine to nothing at the end of the second period. Jesus. I didn't, I, I had no idea I was going to bring this up. I just glanced at my phone while one of you was talking and I, I almost dropped it. Like I've never seen a score like that in my entire life. If, if, Other than if, the if, second if, night of the season. True. If New York gets going the right way, they could be a team that could be good in a few years too. New York, the Rangers have some young pieces with the bread man um, alongside it, but the, yeah, they could be a good team for years to come. But Philadelphia, man, I don't, I don't know what to think about them anymore. I got drafted to New York in my uh, my NHL twenty one my career, so they they are pretty talented. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, the Rangers, they kind of, they baffle me a little bit this season because I don't think their team is like done cooking yet. They still need a few more pieces. And I thought the Flyers were going to win that East division coming into the season or at very least be second. They have fallen off a cliff, obviously, and it doesn't get worse than this. It is nine goals on 23 shots for the Rangers. And the Rangers entire coaching staff is out today because of like COVID protocol. They have their AHL coaching in today. So this is one of the most bizarre things I have ever, ever seen. I did, I had to bring this up because I am like stunned right now that this is a real thing. Sometimes it happens. It gets worse before it gets better. Oh man. I like, I think this is the one year that it all like games like that are going to happen too. Cause I feel like in a normal year, there's usually more competitiveness, but you definitely have teams that just come out skyrocketing and goalies that just don't have it. Yeah. I mean, my, my Lord, the flyers look terrible right now, but uh, speaking of surprises and this strange season and everything like, the whole league, what team has surprised you the most and what team has disappointed you the most out of everybody? Uh, I would say Minnesota is probably my biggest surprise. I was thinking that it was going to be Arizona more fighting for that fourth playoff spot. I didn't, didn't have a lot of expectation for the wild coming in. So they've been a little bit of a surprise just I thought they had a fluke run in the beginning of the season. They've been able to kind of be consistent. Disappointment? I mean, I think that I wasn't expecting Buffalo to be as bad as they were. I thought yeah. – I was upset Taylor Hall didn't choose to come to Colorado, but that was because I thought wherever he was going to go, he was going to be making them better. Yeah, that wasn't the case. That was not the case. So Buffalo would be my most disappointing team. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's 100% Buffalo. Buffalo is like, like you, you have Jack Eichel and you have Taylor Hall on your team. That's a team that should not be six and 18. <laughs> that's, that's just should never be the case. Losers of 12 in a row? No, that, that too, too much talent. I don't know if that's coaching or if that's just a lack of talent, excuse me, talent around them. I mean, look, they have just fallen flat on their face. Um, another, another team that's, that's kind of, I guess that we really haven't seen a whole lot is Dallas. Dallas hasn't really – they've only played 18 ga- or 25 games and only having a 9-9-7 record. Like, they've, they've struggled a little bit after their cup appearance last year. Um, surprises, obviously, I think 
I think Pittsburgh is a team that's kind of snuck up on a little people, little bit here and there. 18, 18, 10, not bad. Um, Crosby looks like he may, um, may get that team back into the playoffs possibly. Um, but yeah, it has to be Minnesota. Jimmy hit the nail on the head. Minnesota is out of playing out of their mind. They have that rookie goaltender in too. That's been playing outstanding. Um, Minnesota Wild definitely are definitely are the biggest surprises. Absolutely, I think for my biggest surprise, it it has to be the Wild. I think they're one of the stories of the season this year. I mean, people thought Kap- Kapril Kaprizov was going to be good coming into this season. He has completely changed the entire complexion of the Minnesota Wild to being a team that you actually want to watch. And Kapo Kakinen, the young goalie you just mentioned, has turned into a stud. I mean, they might have two rookies that could hit the the Calder ballot this season. And even then Cam Talbot as the other goalie has been phenomenal as well. So this team has turned into a threat and they, no, no team is having more fun than the wild right now. They look like they just love playing hockey right now. And the same cannot be said for the Buffalo Sabres. Me and Jimmy have the exact same teams. I was telling you guys before we started this is the worst hockey team I have ever seen in my entire life. Even the avalanche of a few years ago that at the time were the worst team in the salary cap era, they didn't look just as dejected and broken as these guys do. The avalanche, at least on some nights, put up a fight most of the time. Like they weren't getting embarrassed like this. The Buffalo Sabres are the worst organization in the NHL. And I don't think oh, Detroit, maybe Detroit, <laughs> because even I hate then. Detroit, Detroit, even then they, all their struggles come from selling the farm to keep that. Ottawa's up there too. Ottawa's, Ottawa's about to be sold. They're up there. Ottawa's up there, but even then they've got a decent prospect pool coming and they're at least on their way up. The Sabres might be getting worse. Jack Eichel might be gone this off season. And uh, Jack Eichel should be gone. I mean, he, and he then, deserves better. Yeah. And, and then at that point, if you're Buffalo, what are we doing here? We just traded the guy we tanked for, and now we're going to tank again. And we're going to break the record for most seasons in a row without making the playoffs. I mean, and, it, and you added a piece in Taylor Hall too to expect this team. Everybody was like, oh, Buffalo could be a playoff team. Taylor Hall is this supposed to stud. Rossman's Darlene, he's going to take the next step. He hasn't done anything. I mean, they, they've underperformed, to say the least. Yeah, and it's just at a certain point when every single player brought into a team is disappointing, it has to be the team that's disappointing. I mean, Jack Eichel has performed well. He's having a down season this year, but Rasmus Dahlin, I mean, you're telling me a, an 18-year-old who made the Swedish Olympic team at 18 is now just a bum? Taylor Hall, who won the heart a few years ago, and even admittedly, he's dropped Shouldn't off in the last. Heart, but... <laughs> yes, preface that he should not have won it, but he should have at least been second, heart finalist in a in a good world, a better world. He finishes second, but he dropped off the last few years. But he's got two goals this season, and like Jeff Skinner is awful. Everything about this team is awful. And at what point does it not fall on the individuals? I mean, they just fired Ralph Kruger. And is the next guy they're going to bring in be the guy to finally fix it? I mean, how many coaches is this now? Eight. And then when Kevin Adams is eventually fired for not turning this team around, the next guy's supposed to turn it around. It doesn't end. And this season is just one of the darkest I've ever seen out of a team because even the, the Detroits and the Ottawa's of years past, and even Colorado, there was hope on the horizon 
just we're getting a high pick. We have young talent. This is the worst of the worst with Buffalo. This might not even be their worst. I just, I could go on for buff about Buffalo for days because this team just disgusts me. If I'm being honest, they break my heart. Nico, we might have to start referring. I, we, we have to maybe apologize to the Rockies for calling them the worst organization after the Arenado trade. Yeah. I mean, look, it's right up there with the Rockies. I think if, if for all Colorado sports fans, like the Rockies were, were a playoff team two years ago, a team that beat the Cubs in Wrigley field for the wild card position. And we at least had some upside, but the way I see it with Buffalo, Buffalo has just been so bad for so long. The Rockies at least have had a little bit of upside Buffalo. You had two great young pieces and Jack Eichel and Ross McDonald. Then you bring in Taylor Hall and you're telling me you can't field a team to at least get you to 500. That's just terrible. That's just as bad as it gets. It's just, they, they just break my heart because Sabres fans are honestly great and they, they deserve a better team than this. The whole organization needs to be cleaned out from top to bottom. Really? I mean, their playoff drought right now, I believe, is at nine years. And the next longest is four from Detroit. And Detroit made the playoffs in 2016. Like, that was not that long ago. Buffalo last made the playoffs, I believe, in 2011. They're double. With than, Ryan Miller. <laughs> with, with Ryan Miller in net. They're double the next closest team. It's it's awful. They're an awful I, I saw a funny newspaper clipping. It was like, ranking the top 32 teams in the NHL and they had the Seattle Kraken above the Sabres. I'd I'd put them above the Sabres right now. I'd say Seattle has a brighter future than Buffalo and I don't I'll take the mystery box over Buffalo. KHL All-Stars. Honestly, I'd take, I'd what name some KHL teams. I'd take them over Buffalo at this point too. I I can't, I I don't know how to pronounce them, but I, I don't, know any of them off the top of my head but there's there's some good teams there i bet they'll beat the sabers honestly most sabers players end up in the khl anyway the cast of mighty ducks the buffalo sabers honestly they could they could write a whole movie script about the mighty ducks beating the buffalo sabers and you'd have the sabers as the underdogs 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah but uh, coming up in less than a month, we've got the trade deadline. And we talked about the goalies and everything. They need to bring in Bernier or someone along those lines. Do you guys think there's anything else coming in terms of the trade deadline? Whether I don't think there's going to be a big move this year. Talking to Peter Bow on my last episode, he doesn't see any huge moves coming. But do you guys see what, do you, what holes do you think this team still needs to fill come the trade deadline? Um, for, for me, like, I don't want to get rid of all these pieces. Like, the only spot I see is backup goalie, and I don't want to beat a dead horse in that conversation. But, like, top to bottom, what Sackick has put on the ice is good enough, in my opinion. If you look at the first all the way to the fourth line, those are – like, the four, the four fourth line is better than some team's second or first line. So, we I can expect Jost and Bellamar – yeah, that's saying a lot from Tyson Jost, I know. But Jost, Bellamar, and Calvert to go out there and still be able to put up points every now – every other night. Uh, I cannot say that for some other teams. When it comes to defensively, I think we just got to get EJ back, get fully healthy uh, for that matter. Obviously, I think if the, on, the only – the way I see it is the only piece the Avs 
should attack it's 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 either a star player like a Taylor Hall in a trade or a backup goalie. I don't see a I don't see a middle of the pack move if that makes sense. I see either an Evgeny Malkin if the Penguins fall off or a, a Taylor Hall move at the at the minimum. Tr- guys trying to win another cup. Um, but besides that, I would not trade for another middle of the pack guy. Because I, like I said, I trust what we've seen up front. And especially now you just got to get the guys behind, the defensive guys in the back of goaltender situation, either healthy or figured out in free agency or, excuse me, uh, trade deadline. Uh, honestly, I, I don't really want them to bring in any more defensive pieces. I, I just want to see the defensive pieces that we have mold together, get healthy, like Nico was saying. I think if you add EJ back to this defense – it's already been good and the penalty kill has been amazing, but it would just get that much better. I, I think that a, a real star studded move would be probably because you know, they have are legitimate, but it's a small market. So you kind of got to have kind of got to do something to be taken seriously. And somebody, you know, I, I kind of brought up Evgeny Malkin because I think Pittsburgh is going to move on from him or Crosby, and they'd rather get rid of Malkin than Crosby. I, I think Crosby's going to retire there. But uh, some somebody like that that can add to the scoring, as long as they're not going to take away from the offense that's on the ice, a big star coming in, that'll that'll kind of be the next move for the Avalanche, in my opinion. I would I would slightly argue with Jimmy there. I think Colorado is a hockey market. I, we are not a big market when it comes to football, basketball, all those other sports. But I think when it comes to furthest West Coast team um, outside of Vegas, I think Colorado is the the big the biggest West Coast hockey market in my opinion. Um, but just because of the mountains and and, and the history behind Sacagawea and all that. Um, but like Jimmy said, I think the biggest move would be a big star if it comes available at the right pace. Because the last thing you want to do is give up Byram again or give up Byram or give up New Hook in a deal for a one-year or two-year rental. Yeah, I don't see any big move coming this this trade deadline. I think I agree on the defense front. Like, I think our trade deadline acquisition on the defense is just getting healthy. I mean, it's not just McCarr and Byram. It's guys like Connor Timmons and Eric Johnson, and now you've got pretty much three more of your top seven defensemen coming back in the lineup when your defense has shockingly been one of the best in the league, even without them. There's one move I do think would make sense, and that would be at like a third line center position. I think getting a guy like Eric Stahl out of Buffalo would be a move that would make sense for this team because I just don't trust JT Comfer all that much this season. I have not been impressed with how he's played at points this season. And I just think having stall as a guy to push him down the lineup or just get a little more consistency out of your middle six. Cause I think that everything on the wing is fine. And Belmar is a fourth line center is fine. It's just like JT Comfort is like just that one little thing. Like you can improve there. And if you can improve upon it at the deadline, like we were talking about earlier, this is the season to do it. You don't want to screw around this season and be like, ah, we'll, we'll handle it because we saw how that worked out with the backup goalie. It's just, if you see an opportunity for improvement, you should take it. And with on the Evgeny Malkin front, I think that would be um, a definite blockbuster. That would have to be one of the biggest trades of all time, considering the Penguins are, where are they? They're 
third in the East division right now. They have been hot lately. I think Malkin's on like an eight to nine game point streak. He has bounced back in a big way. Yeah, we, we brought that up when they were like, we, we brought that up when they were sixth in the East and yeah. trending the other way. Yeah. I think there's Pittsburgh is, they're a few years away from being out of the playoffs. And even then I think they're probably two, three years away from trading either of those guys just because of what they mean to them. But I think I've taken up enough of your guys' time so far today. Thank you both so much for coming on. So where can guys find you? Please, please plug your stuff. Uh, well, first of all, I want to thank you for having us on, man. Like I said, we're both diehard abs fans. We, we love our Colorado hockey over here, but, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do my shit and I'll let Jimmy plug the rest of whatever I miss, but we're at F E O T V pod F E O T V pod. Sorry. I probably stuttered there. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, um, on all that good stuff. We have a YouTube page as well. You can find us at the far end of the bench where we post clips from our episodes as well. Um, we, we have a, um, cause this is coming out Thursday. So we, we have a March Madness bracket challenge. If you guys are interested, um, you guys can join mm-hmm. through our, tw- through our Twitter page or Instagram page. Just you hit our link tree up and you can still enter that before the Friday deadline. Um, so be, be sure to enter that if you guys are interested in that, but yeah, we have, we have merch. If you guys want merch too, we have some blue shirts. We have a white shirts in our, from our shop with the network we're with. Um, but yeah, I can't thank you enough, Griffin, for having us on, man. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. It's been a, a great time. And like we said, we don't get to talk hockey all that much on our show. We, uh, we try and spread it out amongst all the major sports and, and basketball and football are kind of the, the main two. Uh, as for the Unhinged Sports Network, we are every Wednesday, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern, and we have replays throughout the week. But that uh, unhingedsn.airtime.pro you can hear 24 seven there's always one of those shows playing there's 16 podcasts affiliated with the unhinged sports network actually 15 now and we have five network exclusive shows so unhingedsn.airtime.pro it's always going you can catch everybody there follow them on twitter at network unhinged and instagram at unhingedsn and then unhingedsn.com we have daily blogging content as well that nico and i write for and a bunch of other people on our network right for so if you enjoy listening to us come check out some of our our friends at the unhinged sports network give them a follow because uh it's a great great group of guys and it's a fun platform to be on yeah i gotta say you guys have been helping me a lot with my march madness bracket lately because <laughs> oh we're not the smartest people i'll tell you that. Well, trust me, <laughs> i know nothing so uh, march madness is the only basketball i watch all year and when it comes time to fill up my bracket i am dead in the water so you guys are my number one source of information when it comes to filling out my bracket right now but thank you guys so much for coming on you are welcome on here at any time all you got to do is reach out and i'm more than happy to come on any of your guys' shows in the future definitely well. gonna come back with either you on our show or us here again for for the cup run because we got because we got to gear up the right way for that absolutely this, this has been a blast guys thank you both so much for coming on and please be sure to check out all their stuff at the far end of the bench podcast great work from them over there and thanks again guys for coming on appreciate it appreciate it and that was my conversation with the guys at the far end of the bench podcast jimmy Pilato and nico bryant if you guys liked what you heard on this episode please be sure to subscribe to their show and follow them on twitter again that's the far end of the bench podcast you can just find it wherever you get your shows same way you get it for this one Really fun talk with those guys. I really appreciated everything they brought to the conversation. 
And, man, the Avs, they look like they're starting to roll a little bit. And if they can figure out this backup goaltender situation, they're going to be in a good spot. And I cannot stress enough just how important these games against the Minnesota Wild are on Thursday and Saturday. The next time you guys hear from me, we will have, in my opinion, the two most important games of the season up to this point, that that's obviously going to be usurped later as we get later into the season. But to this point, the most important games of the season so far, done and out of the way. Minnesota, 7-2-1 in their last 10. Colorado, 7-2-1 in their last 10. Minnesota on a five-game winning streak. Colorado on a four-game winning streak. And like, like I said when I talk with those guys, there is no team that's having more fun right now than the Minnesota Wild, and I would love nothing more than to be the team that knocks them down a peg with two consecutive wins and to really establish a foothold on this division and go toe-to-toe with Vegas for that top spot for the rest of the season because I think Minnesota's a good team, and I think they're in. They're going to make the playoffs, but I think they're playing their best hockey of the season right now and maybe peaking a little too early. And I want to be the team that knocks them back down a peg because I think their run started when they kicked our ass a little bit a few weeks ago. And I just want to return the favor to them, if you know what I mean. But I think that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. Thank you so much once again to those guys for joining again that is Nico Bryant and Jimmy Pilato of the Far End of the Bench podcast. Thank you to both of them for coming on. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you guys next time.